hallelujah to the son of suffering. You may have already noticed that for most of this evening, the tone of the service has been more somber than most of our worship services, and that is intentional. Traditionally speaking, Good Friday is a day that Christians set aside to remember Jesus' crucifixion as well as his subsequent death. It's a time to contemplate the incredible price that was paid for our redemption. For many people, it seems strange that the word good would be attached with this particular day, Good Friday. It's often been asked, what is good about Jesus' crucifixion? What is good about his death? And there's a number of different answers as to why this particular day is referred to as Good Friday. And I'm just going to give you one of those that kind of helps summarize how the word was attached. And that is the idea of Good Friday. It dates back to an obsolete usage of the word good that actually also means pious or holy. It's also referred to as Holy Friday or also as Great Friday. Regardless of what a person calls this particular day, it's a day that is set aside to remember what Jesus did on the cross, remember the death of the Son of God. So a part of this Good Friday service is remembering not only what he did on this day, but how it fits into what's been referred to as the Passion Week. It is a week that began last Sunday with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It is a week that culminates this upcoming Sunday, day after tomorrow, when it celebrates Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter morning. There's so much that is happening in this week. If you look at the redemptive plan of God as it unfolds through Scripture, this particular week, the events of this week, are like ground zero for so much of what God has done for us. There's so much of our salvation that is locked into what happens in this one week, and there's so much of that that takes place on Good Friday. So for just a few moments, I want to walk each of us through the events of Good Friday. I want you to remember. Remember, this is a day that is set aside to remember his death, to remember his crucifixion. I want you to think of everything that was going on during this day, and as best you can possibly do it, I want you to put yourself in the position of one of the 12 disciples on that day. Here's how the day went for them. And by the way, remember the Jewish understanding of a day, it goes from sunset to sunset, not sunrise to sunrise. So listen to this day. It's on this Friday when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. At the beginning of that feast, he took a towel and he filled a basin with water and then he washes his disciples' feet. In an act of humility and love, Jesus then sits down and he says these words, one of you is going to betray me. You could have probably heard a pin drop in that room. And each one begins to ask the question, is it I? Is it me? And finally, Peter motions to John 
who was sitting next to Jesus and asked him. He says, find out who he's talking about. And Jesus doesn't actually give a name, but instead he says, what you do, do quickly. And it's at this moment that Judas gets up to leave. It's at this moment in the Passover meal where Jesus now changes the meaning of the elements, the bread and the wine. The bread, it now represents his body. The wine, it now represents his blood. The rest of this day is an absolute blur. Things move from the upper room into the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonizes in prayer as his disciples fall asleep. Judas is betraying him. Peter, in defense of Christ, cuts off a servant's ear. The disciples soon abandon Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the court of the high priest, then to the chambers of the Sanhedrin. Then he's taken before Pilate. Then he goes to the court of Herod. And then he goes back before Pilate once again. After hours of mocking and beatings and torture, he's then crucified. Scripture tells us that as he is crucified and he dies, it literally tells us the earth quakes, the sun goes black, the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, graves open up. In fact, life itself is so powerful that when life goes into the corridors of death, the Bible tells us the dead people came back out of the graves. That evening, the body of Jesus is placed in a borrowed tomb. And all of that is happening in one day. I want to expand for just a moment on one piece from that day. The Bible tells us that from noon to 3 p.m. is when the sun went dark. Towards that three-hour window, towards the end of that, is when Jesus says from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A few moments later, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then finally, with his last breath, he screams, It is finished. And with that, he dies. At that moment, as best we can understand, it was at 3 p.m. That is significant because according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed at 3 p.m. When the Lamb of God died, the sins of the world have now been covered. Sabbath was now less than a couple of hours away, so Jesus' body, it's placed in a borrowed tomb. And as Friday ends, Jesus' followers are grieving. The haters are reveling. But as you all know, the story doesn't end there. If you were to talk about what is encapsulated in Friday, probably the two bigger terms would be trials and death. I want to take just a moment and talk about Saturday. A number of people say, what actually happened on Saturday? And I think it's important that we take a moment to remember this as well. Saturday is the exact opposite of the blur that happened on Friday. Friday is action, activity, one event after another. Things just keep happening. And then you get to Saturday, and it's the exact opposite of that. In fact, there's only a couple of phrases that you find in your Bible related to what happens on that Saturday. Mark gives us four words. When Sabbath 
was over. That's it. We find that Luke gives 10 words. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. John says nothing about that Saturday. Matthew tells us that the chief priest and the Pharisees, they secured the tomb, but that's all that he says. It's not until you get into the book of Acts, as well as in 1 Peter and Ephesians, that we also understand that it's on Saturday that Jesus descends to what's referred to as Hades, and he preaches to the captives. That's happening on that day, but from the disciples' perspective, those who were there, those who watched him die, those who watched him as he was beaten. From their perspective, Saturday was a day of resting and waiting. Think about that for a moment. Between death and resurrection is resting and waiting. This last week as I was thinking about that particular part of the story. This idea hit me. When God chooses to wait, it is different than when we choose to wait. We wait for different reasons. We wait sometimes because we don't have the resources we need. We wait because we don't have the insight that we need to make the right decision. We wait sometimes because permission has to be granted to us before we can move forward. We, we wait for different reasons. When God chooses to wait, it is not for those reasons. When God waits, it is an outflowing of his providence that is undergirded by his sovereignty. Here's what I mean by that. His providence is his working all things according to his wisdom and according to his will. His sovereignty is that he has all power and all authority to do exactly what he desires to do. God is at work even when you and I are waiting. Did you know the waiting process is what prepares us for the receiving? It's in waiting that God is acting behind the scenes, doing what needs to be done so that when the promise is fulfilled, his people are ready for that. So if you were to think about it, Friday is about trials and death. Saturday is about resting and waiting. Sunday is about resurrection and reconciliation. And we are going to get all into Sunday on Sunday. But for right now, I want us to close out in a time of communion. I want us to not only remember the price that was paid for our redemption, but as we receive communion, I want us to look at it, listen to this, as to why we have hope in waiting. We don't wait like the rest of the world waits. We have a hope in our waiting. We have a security in our waiting. We have a peace in our waiting. We have a reason for our waiting. We have a God who is sovereign while we wait. Every bit of how we operate in waiting is because of what he did on the cross and what happens with his resurrection. It's in the gospel that we have peace as we wait. 
So as we close out the service, I want you to think of this. For each of us, if you're a follower of Christ, there was a time when Jesus was waiting for you. And listen to what Jesus says at the end of walking his disciples through that last communion meal, that last Passover meal. He says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. As we wait, Jesus is waiting. One day, think of this, one day, there's not a building in this world who will hold the bride of Christ. One day, when we have a chance to participate in this meal with our Savior face-to-face, in person. At that time, the bride and the groom are united for eternity. At that time, there's no more weeping, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow. At that time, life as we know it here would have come to an end, and the celebration of which we long for would last for all eternity. We wait in joy. We wait in peace. But listen, we wait in celebration as well. Our God is king. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads for just a moment. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just a moment. I'm going to ask you to take the next few minutes for you to sit alone with God And once again, ask God, is there anything that is between my soul and you? Is there any unconfessed sin that I've not brought before you? I want you to take a few moments and continue to just sit with God. And even if you have prayed up on that, take the next few moments and contemplate why it is so glorious that we can wait in joy. At this time, I'm also going to ask our pastors if you all would take your places. As the pastors take their places, there'll be music playing softly in the background. They're preparing so that we can all receive communion together as a church family. What you will find is that there's tables in the front, there's tables in the middle. Each of the different tables has the same elements on it. There's pastors at each of the different tables who will be serving you. In just a few moments, we are going to have a song that we sing. We want to sing in joy as we come to receive communion tonight. So in a moment, as we pray and We start that. I'm going to open it up and encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know there's no sin between you and God, I'm going to encourage you to participate in communion. And when you come in, take the elements, the small little wafer, the small cup of grape juice. When you do that, I'm going to encourage you, take it back to your seat. Don't open it yet. And we will receive communion together as a church family. Let's pray as we go forward. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, 
We ask that as we receive communion tonight, that we remember the incredible price that has been paid for our redemption. Lord, apart from you doing what you have done for us, God, we would all step out into a Christless eternity. Thank you. Thank you. God, may we remember and do it with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, you can come and receive communion.